Turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. Um, I, when I was in school, one of the things that I hated worse of all was um, certain professors would not give you clear direction on what you were supposed to do for an assignment. So a professor would assign a paper, or it would be two or three of the same kind of paper, like book reviews or something like that, and they didn't give you any feedback. They didn't give you any guidance of, okay, this is about what I'm looking for. I want it to be about this long. Or I want you to cover these things in detail. I'm especially worried about these certain things. It'd just be like, do a review of this book. Well, how long do you want it? Oh, you know, however long. I hated that. I wanted a guideline. I wanted some specific things that I could say, this is the way that I need to do it in order to get a good grade. Some things are easy. If you have true or false questions, it's either it's true or it's false, right? They're, they're, it's right or wrong. Uh, math problems, you get the right answer. Or you don't get the right answer. It, it can. It's pretty simple. Now, deciphering what the answer says from some people's handwriting may be difficult. But it's a simple right or wrong. But when you get to things like essays or projects or papers, there's a little bit more wiggle room. And so I like the professors that would say, this is what I'm looking for. I want this many pages. I want this size font. I want it to be double spaced. This is what I want you to do. I want you to do it this way. I want you to use endnotes or footnotes or I want you to do this or that or the other thing. I wanted those clear, specific guidelines. But on those things where you couldn't really give guidelines, there was something else that professors would do sometimes and teachers do this all the way around. It's called a rubric. Any of y'all know what a rubric is? You seen a rubric? I know you do, Carrie. You're a teacher. <laughs> yeah, she knows a rubric. So the other day, James comes home with this uh, with this assignment, he's got to do a project on a type of mammal. He chose dolphins, so we got a dolphin project to do. And there is a rubric. A rubric gives you all the different areas that you're going to be graded on, and it tells you in each category what it looks like to get this many points for that category. So one of the categories is the appearance of the poster. And so that rubric says if you've got zero to 50 points, it is disorganized. It is not neat at all. Uh, there are key facts missing. It looks like it was done at the last minute. Okay? You get a picture in your mind. When you see a project that looks like that, you know, okay, that's, that's not going to get very many points. The next level up, you might have all the detail. And it might be kind of organized, but still not really. Not really neat. It doesn't look like it was done at the last minute, but it doesn't look like a lot of care was put into it. But then to get to the highest level of points, well, at this level, everything looks sharp. It's neat. It's organized. It's got everything you need. It's clearly written. Well done. Everything looks great. Do, do you see how a rubric works? For this many points, this is what you're looking like. If your project looks like this, you're going to get this many points for it for that particular thing. And you go down the line, and then you just figure out the grade from all of those categories. It's a way of taking what's subjective and making it a little more objective, a little more clear, a little easier for the person to understand just what do I need to do to get a good grade. Sometimes when I look at God's Word, I see it as clear laws, Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder. It's clear. It's plain. It's either true or it's false, right? You've either murdered or you haven't murdered, right? 
It's, it's easy to understand. But then there are times like Proverbs chapter 10 and throughout the rest of Proverbs where it's not just by laws, but it's like, let me show you what it looks like when you're doing it the right way. The Proverbs present us with a rubric of what it looks like to live the righteous life. Living right. In fact, he's so concerned with this, this is a point he's driving home. More than one out of every four Proverbs from chapter 10 on More than one out of four talk about righteousness. More than wisdom, more than money, more than any other topic the writer of Proverbs writes about. He writes about living the righteous life. Now, if he's going to devote that much attention, if he's going to drive this point home so much, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, don't you know he is really getting at something important here? So this morning, I want us to take a rubric of what it looks like to live right. In all the Proverbs, we're going to be looking at several Proverbs. We're even going to be looking beyond the Proverbs because these are things that go throughout the scripture. But I'm especially focusing in on Proverbs chapter 10 because there's a stretch of verses that deals especially with what it looks like to live right. Now, the way I'm going to do this is slightly different. This is kind of expositional in that we're going to go through the verses. It's kind of topical because of how we're arranging them. And it's kind of a rubric style. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to show you what the two sides like. And I'm going to ask you, in your mind, to grade yourself. To look at the rubric and say, where do I fall? Okay? Look with me here. Proverbs chapter 10. Let's stand as we read God's word together. We haven't been able to do this the last couple of weeks because we've been all over the place. There hasn't been really one passage. But today there's one key passage. So we're standing because God's word is so important that when we read it, it ought to affect a change in us. And we demonstrate part of that change by standing. Proverbs chapter 10. We'll read verses 23 through 32. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is a pleasure to man of understanding. What The wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more. But the righteous is established forever. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you take your word and drill it deep down into the very core of our hearts. Don't let it, like Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower, don't let it fall on the path where the birds just eat it. Don't let it barely get into the ground with lots of rocks underneath and not penetrate. Don't let it get among the thorns and the thistles the worries and concerns of life crowd it out and choke it of life. But let our hearts be fertile soil for your word. Father, I pray that we would live right by living according to your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Y'all may be seated. You know, um, 
God's word doesn't always just outright tell you this is this, this is the law. Sometimes he gives the picture. And so this morning I want to I want to ask you a few questions and show you by the rubric what it looks like to be righteous. This is not comprehensive. Please don't take me to say I'm going to give you five steps to a righteous life. I'm going to give you 10 ways to please God. Nothing like that. What I want you to do though is I want you to see the type of person that it is that is living right and judge your own life based on the picture of what it's supposed to look like. So I'm going to ask a few questions. We'll show what the rubric is and then I'm going to ask you to judge where you fall. Question number one, does good or evil please you? Does good or evil please you? Look in Proverbs 10.23. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Does good or evil please you? The wicked man, it says, takes doing wrong like it's a joke. How many times have you heard someone joke about something that was wrong? They make light of it. It's no need to be worried about. It's something to laugh at. It's something to just consider like a joke. Now, there are some things that we should take lightly. Our politics is something we should take lightly. Our, our, our mess-ups sometimes are things we should take lightly. Things like when you trip and fall. Now, things like when you, when you do something kind of silly. Where are my glasses? I can't find my glasses and they're on top of your head. That's something to take lightly. But when you're sinning against Almighty God, that is nothing to take lightly. And part of the issue of the wicked person is that he looks at his wickedness and laughs at it. He doesn't take it seriously. He doesn't realize that what he's doing is an affront to the Almighty God who made him and to whom he will answer for what he's doing. He doesn't think about any of that. It's funny. It's, it's a joke. A few years ago, there was a show called Seinfeld. A show about nothing. They made hard of all kinds of things. and Some of the things they made hard of, some of the things they laughed at, were not really funny things. Now, some of the things were just crazy situations. Dropping a milk dud while you're watching a surgery or, um, or the magic spitball. I don't know if y'all remember that episode. Those kinds of things are funny situations. No problem with that. But they would make light of things like sleeping around. Light of things that, that really bring anguish to the heart of God. They're wrong. And those aren't things to laugh. But to the wicked person, they are. They're just part of our problem. We don't take evil seriously enough. We don't take sin seriously. But part of our problem is that we don't take good seriously enough either. Some laugh at goody-goody two-shoes. I don't drink. I don't chew. I don't drink girls that do. And it becomes a joke of how they're trying to live right. But see, the good man doesn't take pleasure in the wrong. He takes pleasure in wisdom, in knowing God, and having understanding. Proverbs 27, 19 puts this so beautifully. He says, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of a man reflects the man. Just like you can look in a pond and you can see your reflection and see what you look like in the pond. In the same kind of way, you can look at your heart and see who you are. 
What is it that gets you here? What is it that pleasures you, that pleases you, that brings you joy and satisfaction? Are you satisfied in doing the wrong things or in the right things? In the grading rubric of righteousness, the wicked man takes pleasure in the wrong that he does, but the righteous man takes pleasure in the right that he does. And so ask the question, does good or evil please you? And I'm not just talking about not doing something is automatically good. Sometimes standing around and not doing anything is the evil. When bad people are doing bad things and you're not standing for them and you're not fighting for them and you're not protecting them, when you're making, when you're standing off to the side and the poor are being oppressed, the widows and the orphans are being mistreated and, and not taken care of and you're standing off at the side like nothing's happening, that's just as evil as if you're the one doing it. Sometimes we've got to recognize that it's not just what we don't do, but what we do that puts us on the wrong side of this rubric. It puts us in the wicked and not in the good category. What brings you pleasure? Is it doing wrong or doing right? Where are you on the rubric? Hebrews 12.2, you know, we got a very, really, really good example in Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus. He's talking about the fact that we are running the race because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11. Men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Men like Moses. Men like David. Men that carried the faith. Men that stood strong in the midst of battle. Men that put faith in God and lived righteously their lives. Since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let's not stop. Let's not stop running. Let's not stop going. Let's not stop doing the right things. Let's not stop doing the things for God's kingdom. But looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before them, endured the cross. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. This is a person that doesn't take pleasure in, in the wrong things, but the right things, even the things that don't bring joy in the immediate term. Even the things that may bring suffering and pain. But what was the joy? Honoring the Father. Doing God's will. For the joy of doing God's will, He's willing to endure the pain and the suffering. He's willing to bear the sin. He's willing to live right. Isaiah 53, 11. Isaiah says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. This isn't just what makes you feel good. It's what drives you. What is it that's driving you? What is it that's bringing you to pleasure? Even if that pleasure means temporary suffering, even if that pleasure means that you will be chastised of men, even if that pleasure means be bruised, crushed, chastised, even if that that pleasure of honoring God means you'll be killed. Is it good or it's or is it evil? What is it that's pleasing you? See, when you're going after the right things, it doesn't matter what happens in the interim. Short term doesn't matter. You're willing to endure the suffering because you need a goal that's worth it. Honoring God is worth it. I'm going to tell you. And if you're loving God enough, to take pleasure in what He has given you to do, that's the sign of a righteous person. But if you'd rather laugh and joke and seek pleasure in the short term, the things that are comfortable, that's the wicked. Which side of the rubric are you on? Second question, do you desire good or do you dread it? 
Do you want good? Let me, let me, let me show you what I mean. Proverbs 10, 24 and 25. What the wicked dreads will come upon him. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever heard the, the phrase self-fulfilling prophecy? This is a self-fulfilling prophecy. What the wicked dreads will come upon him. But the desire of the righteous will be granted, verse 25, when the tempest passes, the wicked is no more. There's coming a day when the storm comes and the wicked is destroyed. But the righteous is established forever. He continues this thought in 29 and 30. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. I think it's interesting that it's the same thing that causes both. Verse 30, the righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. I'm, I find it very interesting that, that the people that are righteous are established and firm and secure. But the ones who are wicked, well, they don't want judgment. That's what's so striking about uh, Ezekiel's day. You'll remember we were talking about Ezekiel and um, God brings judgment on Israel. And some of them are waiting for it. Some of them are happy about it. Some of them are like, yay, Lord, bring your judgment. I can't wait for the day of the Lord. Because what do they think? They think the day of the Lord is just going to bypass them and only get their enemies. It's not the way it works, is it? You see, the wicked fears the judgment of God because they know they got a reason to fear. That's why they have to make fun of what they're doing. I, I used to work at uh, Walgreens, and we had a guy that I worked with that said, retail humor, you laugh so you don't cry. You take you take you see humor in the situation because you know um, that it's actually if you think about it too much you'll start crying so you got to laugh avoid crying. What he meant was the retail job is just so difficult in many ways. You go you get everything straightened nice and neat on the shelves and then people come and just up. You ever been on a toy aisle in Walgreens? I'm telling you, as one that has had to fix the toy aisle, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Things thrown all over the place. It's a constant struggle. Y'all, the wicked, the wicked dreads because he knows there's coming a judgment. He knows that what he's doing isn't going to last. He knows that what he's doing is putting him against God and one day he's going to have to answer for it. And, if you, and, and the only way he can try to cope is to find humor in it and make light of it because he knows the severity of displeasing the almighty God is something not to laugh about but to cry about do you desire good or dread it i I wrote down in my notes the um the righteous sees his desires fulfilled the wicked sees his fears fulfilled they may try to deny it they may try to sweep it under the they may try to make light of it in reality they're just trying to find ways with it you know the first step of grieving it's first step of grieving Denial. That's not just death. It starts with denial. Some people never move past that. Proverbs eleven twenty three. The desire of the righteous in in good. Why? What are they desiring? Righteousness. They're desiring to be like God. They're desiring to follow Him. So, what does their desire end up with? than being more like Him. Isn't that a beautiful picture of how God rescues us from ourselves? You see, before, 
your desire was for yourself, for your, for your pleasure, for your, for your temporary gain. And what you get instead is a permanent loss. The expectation of the wicked in wrath, that's what you get instead. But when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full at his wonderful face, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, don't they? The desire of the righteous is for God himself. And God says, if you want me, oh, buddy, I'm glad to deliver. Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to come to him. God wants you. Some of you don't know that. Some of you think God didn't want me. Why would God want me? I'm not good enough for God. We talked about today Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, other than being a really hard way to, word to say and spell, was the, 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 I was a family member of Saul. Saul died. Jonathan died. The nurse keeping Mephibosheth, he's five at the time, is afraid. David's going to take the throne and kill all of Saul's descendants. I've got to hide this little boy. She's running away with him, drops him, breaks his legs. He's lame for the rest of his life. Years go by. David asks one of his servants, isn't there somebody I can show love to in Saul's household? Isn't there someone that I can give the kindness of God to from Saul's house? And his servant says, there's Mephibosheth. Go get him. Mephibosheth comes to the king, shaking for his life because he knows that they're going to kill him. But no, David offers him a place at the table. That's God's goodness, y'all. I'm going to skip Proverbs 12, 3, go to 14, 14. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Notice it's the same thing. The difference is what's the fruit of your ways? The good man has good fruit. The bad man has bad fruit. Which part of the rubric are you on? Are you desiring good? Do you want God to do his work? Are you afraid of it? Number three, is your life growing? Look in 1027. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. Is your life growing or shrinking? I don't just mean in time. Y'all, if we be honest, not many of us have a very long life here on earth. I think life expectancy now is late 70s. Some of y'all, because you've made it past the age of 50, have a good chance of living until you're 90. Even if you make it to 100. Even if you make it to 100. We've had, depending on your estimate, at least 6,000 years this earth. Some would say a lot longer than that. That's 60 generations of 100-year-old. One after the other. 100-year-old dies, the next one comes. 60. Not including overlaps, not including anything. Not including the highest estimate. Just the lowball estimate, 6,000 years. Y'all, that's not long. And then you look at the grand scope of eternity. See, in reality, all of our years are short. The difference is that the righteous person doesn't just live here. 
His life is prolonged because he has new life. Not a life that dies and decays in the ground. Not a life that we go to funerals to celebrate. A life that lasts and lasts. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. And be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no... His, the lamp of the wicked will be put. Don't worry about those people doing wrong. Don't worry about those people doing evil. You don't concern yourself with them. Yeah, they can hurt you. Yeah, they can mess things up for you. Yeah, yeah, they can make your life kind of miserable for a while if you let them. But don't worry about them because they have no future. They will be cut off and that's it. I, I, would, I would say, maybe if you're going to worry about them, worry about them for their sake, but not for you. Child of God, you have a future. It's much, much bigger than your present. Is your life growing or shrinking? Is God prolonging it or is he cutting it off? Now, some of you cannot answer that question. You're, you're still alive. You pretty well know what's coming. I want you to know God tells you he does not want you questioning whether you have an eternal life in the future. He does not want you wondering what's going to happen to you after you die. It's one thing to say, well, I, I really don't. I mean, how can you really know for sure that you're going to heaven? Let me tell you something. God wants you to know. God doesn't want to hide it from you. He wants you to know him. He also wants you to know what's happening in your future. He wants you to know if you have an eternal life. I'm here to tell you today, you can be absolutely certain. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to be wishy-washy. You don't have to say, well, maybe, maybe. No. I do not want to stake myself, my eternity, on anything that is wishy-washy, do you? I don't even, I don't even want to drive a car that might or might not make it down the road. Not to mention, put my eternity in a 50-50 shot. You don't have to. You can be absolutely certain today that you know that you know that you're a child of God. Is your life growing or shrinking? Which, which category of the rubric are you in? Whoever walks in his integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Sometimes it happens like that. You don't see it coming, but man, it happens. You ever see the leader, the prominent leader, maybe the national leader or maybe the, the, the big wig on TV kind of leader who just suddenly falls? All of a sudden, something comes out and their life crashes and ruins. You ever seen that person? You know what it's usually because of? There are some times when bad people are done wrong. People are done wrong. Most of the time, you, you get what you deserve when it's a giant. Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. Then 14.11, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. I love the contrast between house and tent. House looks permanent, but it ain't. Tent looks temporary, doesn't it? Next question. Do you have joy? I think you're a few ahead of me, Daryl. He's just so angry. He's so excited. He has so much joy right now. He's ready. Proverbs 10, 28. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Now, now you can have joy, so to speak. You can have what you think is joy, but really isn't joy. You can have what you think is joy, but it's a masquerading sort of temporary happiness that looks good, 
but it doesn't last. There's medicines, and when you take them, they spike up and then they fall down. And then there's medicines that come up and they stay up for quite a while. Joy is one of those things that may start a little bit slower, but it lasts. Unlike medicines that we have to keep taking and keep taking, keep taking and keep taking and keep taking to keep sending us back up, that joy continues. And in fact, it's, it's more like, have you ever seen the chart of compound interest where it does this number and it just keeps going? Like it, at first there's very little, but then as you keep going, it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And soon you're earning interest on interest on interest and it, and it really skyrockets. Yeah, I, I, I wish I was at that point where it would go up more. I'm at that beginner point where, it's, where it looks almost like nothing. But anyway, I, w- I wish I was on this end. But that's what joy does. It compounds itself. It builds on itself. So do you have joy? Or is what you have in some kind of, some kind of temporary fling that doesn't end up being much of anything? The hope of the righteous brings joy. Why? Proverbs 29, 6, an evil man is ensnared in his transgression. The thing that he does wrong, the thing that he thinks he finds pleasure in is the thing that traps him, is the thing that subsumes him, is the thing that he has given his life for and, and instead he ends up giving his life to it. But the righteous man sings and rejoices. He doesn't have to fear. He doesn't have to worry because he knows he's honoring God. Ecclesiastes 2.16, in case you thought, well, this, is, this isn't, uh, you know, okay, fine, whatever. L- listen to this same author in a different book as he is contemplating what matters most in life. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. It's a gift from God. Joy is not something that just, that you find laying on the street somewhere. It's not something you work and you work and you work and you finally get like it's a like it's a lifetime achievement award. Joy is given by God to those who please Him. Not just happiness. Not just that stuff that lasts for a little while and then is gone. That stuff that really lasts. And that only makes sense. I mean, after all, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Galatians 5.22 Do you know why? Because God's Spirit working in you produces it. I think it's amazing. Some people feel like, well, if I can just get a little bit more, I'll be happy. But in reality, it's the one who pleases God. He's the one that experiences the joy. Do you you remember how that joy came to us? Do you remember when some shepherds are in a field and an angel breaks apart the heavens and they're afraid? And an angel says, don't be afraid. That's what angels have to tell us when they show up because it's easy for us to get afraid when we see heavenly beings. That angel says, I bring you good news of great. God sending his son to the earth provides the basis for his life, for his death, for his resurrection that give us true, lasting, Joy. Do you have joy? You don't get it from anyone else. It only comes from God. Last question. What are you talking about? I almost put Willis on the end of this line. Yeah. What are you talking about? What's coming out of your mouth? It's amazing. Things you say, they got to come from somewhere. 
Proverbs 10, 31, 32. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. And we know this is true because we know that what's coming out of the mouth is coming from somewhere else. Proverbs 12, 5 and 6. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The things that are going on inside of him are just. And so what comes out of his mouth is what's just. It's what's good. It's what's wise. Because that's what's in him. What's in you comes out of you. And it usually comes out through your mouth. You want to know who someone really is? Hang on a little while. I'll start showing you. And a lot of times by what they say, they'll start showing you. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Again, they can't give any good advice. They're wicked. They're deceivers. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. There's nothing good about them. They may look good. There's nothing good about them. But the blood of the upright delivers them. Or the mouth of the upright delivers them. I'm sorry. The words of the wicked are looking for someone to defeat. For someone to attack. For someone to destroy. The mouth of the upright doesn't look for that. Jesus put it this way in 6. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth, what is in your heart will come out of your mouth. That's why Paul makes the connection between heart and mouth in Romans 10. When he's talking about this coming to faith in Christ. And he says, what does it say? What does the word of God say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For Paul, the two have to be connected. If you are confessing Christ as Lord and not believing in your heart, you are a liar. If you are believing in your heart and not willing to confess, that belief is dead. There's nothing to it. It's intellectual assent, but it's not genuine belief. For to be genuine belief, the belief in the heart has to come out of the mouth. Because what is in your heart will come out of your mouth. So if Christ dwells within you, if Christ is the one who has control of you, then you will speak His name. You will declare your allegiance. You will be the one speaking the righteous things because you will be the one who is righteous because Christ has done the work in you. And that will come out. We used used to say, well, you know, whether you're saved or not, that's between you and God. I'm going to tell you something. It's not between you and God because what God is making you on the inside will come out of you and will display itself. You will bear fruit as a Christian. The fact of the matter is that the things you're talking about reveal the heart that you have. And so if you're on the side of the rubric that's wicked, you're saying wicked things or you're saying deceitful things that may look good but really aren't because they're coming out of a heart that's deceitful. But if you're on the righteous side of the rubric, if you're on the side of the right man who is following God with his life, the things that you say will show that. I have a hard time because I talk too much. And sometimes I say things that reveal a heart that's not quite where it needs to be. Any of you do that? Let me tell you something now. If you love God, if you truly 
have Jesus Christ as your Lord. Not just your Savior, not just the get out of hell free card, but actual Lord in charge, sitting on the throne, making the decisions. You will talk like it. You'll have joy. You won't dread evil or dread good. If you love God and if you're following His ways, the good things will bring you pleasure. And your life will grow. There's nothing, there's nothing that tears apart the inside and the outside. Who you are will show itself. This morning I'm going to ask them to Come bring an invitation. Some of you have heard this invitation hundreds and you still haven't responded. And I don't know why. I really don't. Some of you need to join this church this morning. You've been sitting here. You're not a member. You need to join. Some of you, um, that ain't your problem. Your problem is you ain't a Christian. You don't believe. I'm about to get in trouble if I knock that. Oh my goodness. Some of you don't believe. I'll tell Miss Connie you knocked that over and let her get you. In all seriousness, some of you are sitting here and you've heard the gospel and you've heard the gospel and you've heard the gospel and you've heard it and heard it and heard it and, heard it and, it, and it's just like white noise now. You hear it so much that, that you've become immune to it. I want you to know, I want you to know that who you think you are, who you think you are is a facade if you don't really know Christ. And you may put on a good front and you may show it all, but I want you to know that is not going to convince the God of the universe, the God who knows you better than you know yourself. Quit putting up the facade. Quit acting like you're a child of God. Quit acting like this is real when it's all fake. Give your heart to Christ, for goodness sakes. Some of you need to do that this morning. Somebody in this room, I know, I know for a fact, because God put it on my heart, somebody in this room needs to accept Christ this morning. You need to quit playing the game and you need to do His will. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. Now is the time.